0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spain and Fitz podcast, a short show tonight. Going to just be an hour. So we put together a little pre-party for you. Going to have a fun conversation with a bubble DJ from the NBA um, but first, fits, I, I have to do a shameless plug for my podcast because it was a really fun one this week. And I think a lot of people listening to this would enjoy that as well. So if you don't already subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, go ahead and subscribe. This week I had Mina Kimes, Mike Golik Jr., L. Duncan, Adam Amin, and Diana Rossini all on the podcast to share all of their best tricks and, and um, tips for how they prep for all their different jobs. We've got a radio host, a sports center host, an NFL analyst, you know, a play-by-play caller, a reporter all different gigs and all the different websites that they use, analysts that they listen to, shows they watch, uh, statistics, uh, companies that they lean on. And I was sort of blown away. I mean, I know how much work goes into these gigs and I, I know how much time, but um, I was just re-impressed yet again with uh, the caliber of the people that I work alongside and how much work goes into being able to, to do their jobs as well as they do. Um, so I, I think people really like listening to it. Fun behind the scenes if you're not in the industry and basically a massive cheat sheet if you are.
2: Can I just say to Sarah, as you well know from the fact that I text you every time you have a guest on that I'm jealous of, I love the (laughs) podcast anyway, but I'm particularly excited for this one because I'm interested to really dive into it. Like Adam Amin, somebody you mentioned is somebody I've actually been talking to a lot over the last month because I want to learn some more about things like play by play. And just the resources he shared with me is really eye-opening because I think for so many people in general, when you want to get into a different level of content, you don't even know where to start. So to have people be so open about how they process things and how they get through their, their prep is really a huge step forward for anybody that, that is just learning how to get better, but also learning like trying to figure out how they can do things more effectively. So I'm, I'm really pumped to listen to it.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think one of the things that I love especially recently. And obviously some of it is me being at the company for longer and, and establishing these relationships. But I also just think the current roster of sort of young and young-ish people at the company are just so supportive of each other. A lot of friendships, a lot of like willing to lend a hand. I just read a great story about Cassidy Hubberth reaching out to Malika Andrews early on in her career at ESPN to give her a hand with all sorts of stuff, even offering up a pretty coveted job um, in the bubble, and and calling a producer and saying, you know, this would be a great one for Malika because of the work she's already done with this team. Um, just especially amongst the women fits, because so many people like to create this idea that we're all backstabby, you know, catfighting bitches. That you know, there can only be one. And that's actually a narrative that prevents women from excelling and tries to convince us that there's only room for one. And we know that that's not the case. And so all I've found since I've arrived at ESPN, and even earlier than that with women in the industry, is like a really big willingness to help and 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 you know lift each other up, which is awesome.
2: And really surprising to me to find the same thing. I mean, the music industry is not always that way. And one thing that really blew me away when I came here is that I do think, you know, for some people I've worked with, admittedly, it took a little time to to get people to respect what I do. I think there was a a little bit of a why are you here and how did you get here moment. You know, I had to sort of prove my way through that a little bit. But once people started to get to know me as a person and then see the work that I'm, I'm constantly trying to put in. One thing that's been really surprising is how many people have been willing to sit down. Elle's a great example, you know, is even when I was trying to get better at reading highlights in general to sit down with Elle and just figure out, okay, this is how she goes through it. This is how she watches it. And this is what she does to prep. And some of the sports center anchors that have helped me in that way, it's really surprising. And then I'll go back to last year with game day. You know, I, I had the opportunity to get to know Reese pretty well and just hanging out with Reese. And I walked up one day to ask him a simple question. The king, and before yes, you know it, game
1: day. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and, and I mean, I asked him a simple question. An hour later, I got like a, a tutorial, a class on how he does his job. And it's, it's insane to see the process guys and girls go through at this network to be great at what they do. It's really, it's a reminder that it's not just standing in front of a, a camera or sitting in front of a microphone. There's a lot that goes into it.
1: Absolutely. Well, you can check it out. That's what she said with Sarah Spain is the podcast. Also, uh, tomorrow... If you listen to that podcast, you will find out that tomorrow there's an extra special piece of information that will be released allowing you to buy tickets to the first ever live virtual That's What She Said podcast. And all the details on special guests and everything else will be dropping tomorrow, Thursday. So if you're listening to this, this is an extra little hint for you to keep an eye out for tomorrow so you can get tickets before they sell out. Uh, Although they're free, so they don't really sell out, but they are limited, so you still have to get one and register in order to be a part of it. So, little tease there. Uh, Joining us now in the pre-party, before we get the show going, uh, fun little conversation that I thought we'd have, Fitz. Uh, Some of the jobs are on the bubble that we hadn't really thought of, and one of those is the DJ for the games that gets uh, the players pumped pre-game and plays the music throughout. So, uh, let's get into a fun conversation about bubble tunes. Joining us now for a fun little chat about music in the bubble. It's DJ Shauna. normally the Milwaukee Bucks game day DJ, but she was one of four DJs in the bubble. She worked the scrimmages, the seeding games, all the way up through the second round of the playoffs. Just got back out of the bubble about a week ago. Uh, DJ Shauna, thanks for joining us. I'd, I'd love to hear how you got selected to be one of the few in the bubble for this gig.
3: Well, thanks for having me. Um, having a Peter Pan tattoo, you're just kind of like in. So when anything <laughs> Disney happens, um, it's like a QR code. They just scan it, and then it's, it works like a Disney magic band. So um, I, I actually I got a text from my main point of contact, Johnny Watson, with the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't even know when it happened, but he asked me, he's like, would you even... Entertain the idea of going to Orlando. This was after they announced the bubble. And I did, I replied that I would start walking immediately to get there <laughs> safely. Um, and then I, that's how the process started. I don't know how many DJs went through the process. I just, I'm grateful that I received a follow-up email that said I, I got in, and uh, we kind of hit the ground running from there. It was, it, that's how that happened. Oh. So thank you to the Milwaukee Bucks and Johnny Watson.
2: So then you get to the bubble. Now all of a sudden you've got to deal with a lot of musical tastes in a place that's fairly quiet. So every one of your selections is going to be hyper reviewed by everybody. So how do you put together like the right vibe and feel?
3: <laughs> oh, Fitz, I feel like I know where this conversation's going. Um, I it was incredible to be honest. So playing you know music as being for the 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 official DJ for the Bucks, I really start to learn the guys. And their personalities and what they like when they're doing, you know, their regular shoot arounds you know, two to three hours before a game. And then, um, you learn what Milwaukee likes, what to play at five serve. And so it was a crash course in 22 teams of music. And I had a blast <laughs> with it. And it was. Probably one of the biggest challenges that I've had as a DJ, because I really took that on, to be honest with you, is that I wanted to emulate what it felt like, especially being an athlete, knowing how routine we, we are and the athletes can be. And so thinking it's a home game while knowing how the guys have felt about the court, it, I just wanted it to feel as close to possible. Um, For that, you know, I had a a blast with some Brooklyn games. I love doing the Lakers games and for as much as it pains me to say the Heat games. Um, But it was so fun in these different parts of the country that you really got to embrace the culture that they're lucky enough to have this incredible music scene. So I had a blast with it.
1: Uh, I'm curious, you know, of all those different preferences and vibes of different teams, was there any team that kind of gave you a list or a bunch of suggestions and you were like, oh, no, these are going to be my least favorite games. We just don't have the same vibes.
3: Not really, to be honest, because I think when it kind of boils down to it, um, there is a a box that we sort of put NBA players in when it comes to music and I think that probably was one of my favorite things about being in the bubble is um feeling like I got to be a part of their world in a different way where I normally only see them once or twice a year and very briefly and so um I learned a lot about myself and trusting my gut and frankly it it towards the end of my time, like in the bubble, it became less hip hop, more R and B and some pop and country. And um, I had a blast really like kind of pushing those boundaries a little bit. And, and I think the guys appreciated it too. So it wasn't always the same music they were hearing every pregame.
2: Okay. So let's have an honest moment here. I'll never forget. I'll tell you a little quick story and see if you've got something in the same realm. I'll never forget playing a show and we opened the band I was touring with, opened this song where I had to go out to the front and jump up and down while I played the fiddle solo. And it was the toughest solo of the night. And Aaron Rogers was sitting three rows back. I can remember this. Like it was yesterday. I walk out there, yeah. I jump up and down. I play the solo, like a maniac and I look out at Aaron Rogers and his arms are <laughs> crossed and he just sort of shrugs his shoulders. And he's like, meh, at the end of my solo. I, I'll never forget this moment. So did you have a moment in the tell. bubble where you felt like you were like flying and you were going and, and like maybe a particular player just looked up and was like, eh.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry Aaron wasn't feeling that, man. I promise you I would jump <laughs> up and down with you. Anytime that I have a stage, you are welcome to bring your fiddle um, and jump up and down with me. But... You know, I am fortunate, not that I know of, I didn't, I didn't get anything on headset or any like thumbs down from the court. Um, and so unless somebody was being very kind, um, I don't think I got, I got that. I think um, I got, I, say- I got I'm lucky. So jealous right I, now? <laughs> um, sorry. I mean, I've had it in other moments of my career. I just, for the two plus and change like months that I was in, in the bubble, I don't think I had that. Um, there were sometimes questions on why I was playing what I was playing, but I don't think it came from the guys. Um, but it's, it's, it was always some somewhat like researched or passed along and, um, people were wondering why I was playing Sade for Lakers games. And it was the game, LeBron's like video of him dancing and singing to Smooth Operator went viral. (laughs) And. Um, I I played that and that we game. We can probably assume that
1: LeBron made all the requests. I, I think I think it's it's sort of like <laughs> special attention given to players from coaches. Same goes with DJs. Like you know, if, if some guy that's uh, deep on the bench asks for something, it's going to go slotted in under whatever LeBron and n a d AD asked for. Uh, we're talking to DJ Sean, and Milwaukee Bucks game day DJ, but also one of the four DJs that was in the bubble for all sorts of the games. Tell us about the vibe, like so what I'm trying to figure out while we're watching at home is how much are they hearing of the fake crowd noise and everything else in you know the actual arena, so were you playing music for dead air or was there some fake noise happening inside the wobble as well the bubble
3: um that's a great question, so I got to we got to experience like what the crowd noise sounded like on the court, and it was very surreal to go into this again. Um, a phrase the NBA loved to use was we are building the ship as we're sailing it. And they crushed it, frankly. It's something that I look at and from an audio standpoint and they essentially, in my, you know, opinion, to me the the basketball court looks like it's just it's a studio is ultimately what it is. And to produce a basketball game. Mm-hmm. Um and so during shoot around so, well, it, playoffs changed to like three hours before tip, but up to that, it was like two, two and a half hours music started. Um, that is strictly just music. So it's just, it's there so that when you, when the guys got on the court, it wasn't awkwardly quiet. Um, you know, other people were there, frankly, you know, like friends and family. And then you have all the media and other personnel from the NBA and staff. And so, It just, as we know, like music is such a part of our lives and it just, it was filling the space. And, um, but then once the players ran out, the home team um, would do, would run out of, from the locker room, essentially, that's when the crowd noise would kick in.
2: Walk me through a little bit of your process as a DJ, because, you know, I think one of the most interesting and difficult things for DJs is feeling a crowd and then knowing, you know, when to lull and when to blow up and (laughs) what to do. So you're watching an NBA game and you're trying to not only get the guys hype, but also have the right tone. So like, what's your process during the game for sort of matching the music to the moment?
3: That's a great question, Fitz. And um, we got a lot of direction in those the seeding games kind of leading up. so as DJs, we kind of tried a little bit of everything because we didn't know what they would want to hear or if they would care, frankly, like during timeouts, because for three minutes and 15 seconds, they're in a timeout and there's no fans, there's no t-shirt cannons, there's no entertainment on the court. Like you're just there. So some teams had preferences on the kind of music other teams didn't, didn't. Um, And so it was just kind of making note of that and I like to think that I follow directions pretty well and so I just, you know, if like I keep coming back to Miami cuz I did have a blast DJing their games before they played us in the in the playoffs. Um <laughs> but and, and and beat us so well. Um But they, they, I got to play a lot of Latin music, and that was what they wanted during timeouts, and I had a blast with that, just because it was a different sound. Um, And again, you know, like the Lakers and the Clippers were very West Coast. I got to play a lot of Tupac, and it was just and Nipsey, obviously. And so it was just it was team preferences that were passed on that I just um, frankly read the emails and the notes, and then followed directions.
1: Fitz, I think we just learned that like fans of a team, DJs of a team also say we. Uh, Unless, of course, DJ Shauna was out there getting worked by Jimmy Butler, which I don't think you were. Uh, But I'm impressed that you managed not to just play fart noises for the heat whenever they were taking the ball up the court when they were playing against your Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, This is fun uh, to hear about this. One last question for you. Did the non-basketball folks in the bubble get together and hang out outside of game times? I'm sure a lot of the players are kind of focused on hanging with each other or prepping for games, but you've got a lot of downtime between when you're working. Were there, you know, I don't know, poker games or hangouts at the pool or what'd you do?
3: Yeah, um, pool hangouts. There were some card games. Pickleball has become huge in the bubble. Okay. Um, I've never played before the bubble and I just was uh, texting a friend and he's actually playing pickleball right now. Um, and so there are numerous courts. Some people bought their own nets and people are buying their own paddles. Uh, but it's, it was it was kind of like summer camp like all over again it was fun to like navigate this space that we were given the parameters of whatever you know Coronado Springs Resort was and you're like you can't go here but you can go here and basically as long as you follow the rules do whatever you want and so games and there's wiffle ball um, and there's bikes there's fishing but it is it's it's entertaining because I met refs. I met a lot of media that I look up to. Like I got the chance to meet Rachel Nichols finally, who is <laughs> the same last name with different spellings, and got to watch Malika Andrews. I met um like I got a Richard Jefferson came in the last couple of days that I was there. Like there's people that I, my path would never cross with normally and um it was it's a really cool opportunity in the bubble because I think I'm a feelings person, if you can't tell Sarah because i I like Justin Bieber, but um <laughs> I hold on I'm gonna hold on to that and like I'm gonna feel like when I see LeBron next season, like we have a connection, so that's awesome. we lived in the bubble together. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: that's really fun. Uh, well, I'm glad you made it out of the bubble, and I'm sure you'll have uh, some extra trash talk for all the guys you got to know when they come visit the bucks uh, uh, next <laughs> season, whenever that is. Uh, thank you, DJ Shauna.
3: Thank you. I appreciate you both very much. And Fitz, if you ever have any more music questions, don't hesitate to shoot them my way.
2: Now, with all the NBA talk that we know we have to get into tonight, uh, we've been having a blast getting some little, uh, getting some expertise over the course of the last few days on all things Major League Baseball. We're going to do that in a big, big way now by heading over to the Shell Penzoa Performance Line, where we're joined by Oakland A's closer Liam Hendricks. Uh, Liam, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate you joining us, and you know, let's start with the obvious congratulations. The A's win the division, so the real question is, in a COVID nineteen world, how do you celebrate a division win?
0: Uh, we, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's very muted compared to usual. I mean, there's no champagne bottles flowing. There's nothing like that happening. Um, we had a little bit of a, uh, socially distanced get together after the game last night down at the hotel. There's an outdoor area where we are here in LA. And I, I had a cup of coffee saved for a little bit and then went up and and prepared for today. But, uh, yeah, the the division's now locked up. That uh, now we can focus on the seating and and who we're going to play now.
3: I wonder how
1: baseball teams have, since the beginning of the season when there were the issues with the Marlins and the Cardinals and a couple teams, really locked down and been able to compete without a bubble. Can you explain how it's been for your team specifically? Is it a bunch of guys just holding each other accountable? Is it very strict rules sent down from above? How how did it kind of get worked out to you to handle yourselves?
0: I think it's a mixture of everything. I think... Um it's the diligence by the players. It's the, uh, like the rules that were set in place of certain things that, uh, like, um, to me and Jake Deakman, we're, uh, we're the high, two of the high risk players in the team. And we are currently in the back managerial office of the old Dodger stadium locker room. So, uh, we're up in the, we're up in the boondocks and everyone else is in the, uh, down further a little bit, but, uh, that's what, that's what a lot that's happened to us in Texas. We were in the women's locker room that was around the corner in, uh, in Houston, we're in the coach's locker room. Like, they've, they've taken a good uh, a good chance to uh, kind of uh, put the high-risk guys in certain areas where they, there's less traffic, there's less people walking through and everything. And a lot of the rest of it has to do with just making sure guys are dealers are wearing masks, washing hands, keeping kind of everybody accountable. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the mask thing is uh, its getting a little old, but it's one of those things where its um, you suck it up for the better good and hopefully we can bring home a ring now.
2: We're talking to Oakland A's closer, Liam Hendricks on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So uh, you mentioned earlier it's about, about seeding in the playoffs. I mean, we all sit here and yell about the expansion and, and the way the playoffs working in the bubble in general. From a player's standpoint, what do you think of the playoff format this year?
0: Uh, well, as the first time I've been with the A's where we've won the division, I think it sucks. But, uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> this wasn't the year, guys. We, the
0: division, we still have to play the same amount of games as everybody else. But, no, I think it's um, – it's an interesting concept i think it's uh something that during a 60 game season is something that you can float around but i mean i i don't like the fact that there's going to be teams that have losing records making the playoffs i think that just defeats the purpose of it um and it it takes away like realistically it takes away from winning the division i mean there's no real clear-cut advantage i mean it's we're still playing the second team in our division right now as as if, if the playoffs started today so it's uh it's not. There's no real advantage to winning the division. I think that's one of the biggest things that's going to have to uh, to be changed if they want to adjust the the old playoff format. But um, look, any any chance for more games? I think the the one card wild card game, obviously from an ace point of view, is um, is a little archaic, mainly because we've lost two of them in a row. But <laughs> that's just uh, it happens to be the way we that like, yeah, our mindset. Obviously, I'm a little biased towards it all, but I think it's it's something that is an interesting experiment this year. But I don't see it having over half the league being in the playoffs is a uh, a huge positive in the in the long run uh, but i can see the merits of expanding the playoffs and making it a little bit more accessible but just not as not as not as what it is this year
1: yeah uh, liam hendricks with us from the a's it's pretty rare for a closer to win the cy young but you are certainly in the conversation and you look back at um you know you're uh, well, I we won't say lofty ERA, but you know, back back in 11, 12, 13, you hadn't quite found your stride yet. Now you're way down at one, to, uh, 23. What What's the secret there and, and how good of a shot do you think you have to be one of the few closers that wins the award?
0: Uh, so back then I was a starting pitcher and I suck. There's no sugar <laughs> cutting it. I was bad. <laughs> like, I was lucky to have three pot, pots of three years, or so pots of four years as a starter and that's it's, uh, putting it lightly, but Uh, ever since I went to the bullpen I've kind of started getting into my niche a little bit and then I got traded from the Blue Jays to the A's and kind of was trying to find my way a little bit while trying to do too much while not having enough kind of perspective on where I was at um the last couple of years of like the, the 2018 was the year that really humbled me and got me to the point where I am now I think it was that one of those things where it's uh take a couple steps back take a few steps forward and that was uh that was something that was a needed, a necessary evil for me, is going down to AAA, figuring out the fact that I need to get back to what I did, not what an organization wants me to do or anything like this. I need to do, if I'm going to go out, I want to go out on my own terms. And that's what ended up happening. And, Bob's your uncle, here we are. But, um, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't put my chances for the Cy Young here at all. I mean, I'm, you're throwing that around. I'm not even the best reliever on this, on this team currently. I mean, Come it's on. Just, uh, that's how strong our bullpen has been. I mean, well, you look at what uh, Jake Deakman's been able to do. You look at what Yusmar pati has been able to do. You look at what Joao Joaquin Sarri has been able to do. I mean, these are guys who uh, have been doing it a lot longer than I have that have had success. And, I mean, I mean, my vote right now, even on, like, taking the entire league out of it, if you're going to vote on a reliever, it's got to be either Alex Colomay of the White Sox or Jake Deakman of the A's. And that's my two guys that are kind of doing what they need to do from the A.L. point of view. But, I mean, you look at Mike Myers with the, with the Angels. I mean, he's... I feel like he's throwing two innings every night. The last couple of nights, we've got mm-hmm. the the reliever pool is so strong this year. It's uh, it's it's going to be hard to pass up. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's uh, if you bet against Shane Bieber, you're uh, as a <laughs> as an old Australian <laughs> k- commercial you used to say, you're a bloody idiot. So um, <laughs> I think he's Always running away with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to put a pass him, and plus he's just a, he's a good dude. Like he's a, he's a good guy. I think I. He deserves all the credit he's getting for a phenomenal year, but it always makes you happy when uh, there's actually good people that are doing doing well in the league and then winning some awards as well.
2: We're talking to Oakland A's closer Liam Hendricks, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Liam, in a shortened season with everything packed together, for you on the field, what's been the biggest challenge as a player uh, to sort of get yourself right with this season?
0: Uh, I think it's just the fact that every game is such a, like it's quantifiably bigger um every game means a lot more this year so it's like there were times right through i think i've gone back uh, three games in a row three times this year uh and then i'm in a current stretch right now where i've thrown once in the last 12 days and so it's just it's one of those things where it's like yeah, okay do i need to go out there and get an inning well, what happens if i all of a sudden i need an inning tonight then we rattle off three close games in a row and i made it again and it's it's just that managerial stuff of trying to figure out when to use guys when to keep guys fresh when to do this when to do that it's uh it's not an easy job being a manager, especially with trying to manage the bullpen and make sure everybody's fresh and ready to go. And and now the fact that we've, um, we've questioned the division and um, there is there is the chance we can move up the, the standings a little bit to, to change that a little. But uh, it's one of those things where it's just kind of um, making sure everything's kind of good, but I'm I'm ready to go no matter what. Um, if I get to pitch, I get to pitch. If I don't get to pitch, I don't get to pitch. And it's just, the mindset I I need to need it this year. It's like in the past of okay, I, I wanted to pitch today. Why didn't I pitch today? What's going on? Now it's like, nah, I'll probably pitch tomorrow. It's fine. Yeah.
1: Well, being a creature of habit, as many baseball players are, it must be tough to change to a 60-game sprint. Uh, We only have about a minute left, but I did want to ask you, there was a great piece a couple weeks ago from Anna Catherine Clemens about you on on .com, and you talked about balancing, losing a a friend to COVID, dealing with the civil rights unrest in our country, um, and and I wonder how you've felt being vocal about issues uh, while in the sport of baseball, which hasn't always been progressive.
0: Yeah, I feel like uh, this year especially has been a year where players can show off their personalities can show off their interests a little bit more whether it be through tweets, whether it be through everything but a lot more players have found their voices this year which has been fantastic i think there's yeah. been a thing in the past where like okay no baseball is stoic we keep everything in house we do things the right way and all this it's like no we need to we need to show our personalities up we need to show the show the world that we aren't just cardboard cutouts that don't have opinions for ourselves we need to go out there and and show what we're passionate about them for me that has been not only with the making sure people are wearing masks and the PSAs for through the, through the pandemic but also with the, uh, the social and civil unrest going along around the country and for me it's like this is uh, something that I took a step back from some of the stuff we did last year off the field and focusing on a lot on these issues that uh, are so pertinent in this day and age and I feel like we can make a difference. The people like yeah. people are actually understanding, especially baseball, is that you no, know, me saying something can make a change, can make a difference, can yeah. change the opinion it's of much, somebody, so can get somebody to look yeah. deeper into it.
1: Well, it's much appreciated, and and props to you and all the other baseball players for speaking out. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been great to catch up with you again. Always a friend of the show, Liam.
0: All right, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Like I said, it's a short sprint tonight, just an hour, but you can subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast and get our exclusive pre-party where we talk to someone fun. Tonight had a fun guest on and did our own little chat. So uh, make sure you subscribe to Spain and Fitz for all of that. And since we only have one segment left and so much to get to, it's time for Quickies.
0: Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast.
1: That's right. And we're starting with a sad note today, not a surprising one necessarily because Gail Sayers had been sick with dementia for some time. But he did pass at the uh, relatively young age of 77 today. And Fitz, both you and I are a little too young to have watched much of much of Gale Sayers. But uh, the numbers are unbelievable for such a short career because of injury. Uh, it was cut short. But he was a pro bowler four times, a first-team all-pro five times, two-time rushing yards leader, rookie of the year, comeback player of the year. He's in the College Hall of Fame. He's in the Pro Hall of Fame. He had six touchdowns in one game in his rookie season. Nine carries for 113 yards and four touchdowns, two catches for 89 yards and a touchdown, five kick returns for 134 yards and a touchdown, which is 21 yards per touch in the game. 21 yards per touch in the game. That's like when you get to the end of the week and you're like, "Well, I'm really trailing in fantasy. I just need five touchdowns from my guy and I'll win." And then they actually get it for you. Uh, <laughs> just, just an unbelievable player who uh, did so much in such a short time. Was the youngest ever inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and Michael Wilbon had something to say about him today on Sports Center.
0: He was, uh, you mentioned electric. I mean, there's nobody like him. There's not been anybody like him, which is why if you talk to people of a certain age who are old enough to have seen Gail Sayers, they'll tell you, they'll say, I don't care how many games he played, you have to see him. And the wonders of YouTube, you can see him. Yeah. Go look him up, find him. Don't give me the, well, he played a long time ago.
2: Yeah, don't,
1: don't do that because, uh, Fitz, you go watch tape and you realize that guy was smooth.
2: Well, and, and it is beautiful to watch. The one thing that I would say is that even when you watch the tape on it, I don't know that you can get the full context for the era as well as you can from hearing the story. So I really appreciated today, not just Wilbon, but several of the people on ESPN that went down memory lane for Gale Sayers and what he meant to people watching him as a kid and, and what he meant to football fandom. I think it's a real statement to his legacy, and it's an important thing to honor on a day like today.
1: And if you haven't yet, go watch the movie Brian's Song. You're going to cry a lot, but it's an incredible story of the friendship between Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers and such an extraordinary kind of uh, tie that brought them together. Uh, Very sad, but definitely worth watching. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, we continue with our quickies, and this story that I saw today, right before we're taping HQ, I read the Adam Schefter tweet about Tarad Taylor, and uh, my response was literally a jaw drop and a WTF We've heard some crazy stuff, and, and the first thing that popped in my mind was Luol Deng and the Bulls training staff and, and how they mishandled a diagnosis with him that made him further uh, ill and how that kind of soured the relationship between him and the team. But she wondered what was going on with Terod Taylor and it was that the team doctor for the Chargers accidentally punctured his lung just before kickoff on Sunday, trying to give him a pain-killing injection for a cracked rib. Now, that's very football, fits that you're like, here's, a, here's something to let you go out there even though your ribs are cracked. Uh, but more so, just a, sort of an unbelievable twist of bad luck for a guy that's already missed out on a starting gig a couple times due to injury.
2: Yeah, and I feel so terrible for Terod through this process, but it also is a little bit of a reminder of how committed they are to him. I mean, you think about the fact that they were going to give him a pain injection with the plan with cracked ribs that he would still play rather than put Herbert in early on, and I understand that, but it also does explain a little bit of why they, even in the postgame, were so adamant that Terod's still their starter. I mean, they obviously believe in him, and at some level, it's somebody within their organization's fault that – He's not capable Absolutely. of playing, so there's a huge trickle-down for him.
1: Yeah, there's already sort of that saying, you can't lose your starting job to injury, which has been disproved time and time again in sports. But especially when your own team doctor might be the reason that they were unable to compete, it would feel particularly cruel for him to lose out and not be given another shot because of, of a botched uh, you know, attempt to, to send him out there with an injury. I think he's considered week-to-week Um They've sort of told him as of right now not to play indefinitely, so it sounds like Herbert will get the run in in the meantime, but that they are devoted to allowing him to step back into that position when he gets a chance, and rightfully so, Fitz. I know know we were just talking in the break about how it sounds like uh, you're not able to sue as an NFL player if you accept medical care. Uh, per the CBA. I would imagine there still will be some discussion about what went wrong there and and whether or not he feels comfortable being in the care of that particular doctor, uh, how common is something like that, all of that stuff. It's not going to end here.
2: Well, and the entire locker room is going to be looking around and saying, man, if that happened to him, I mean, it, it sort of raises some, some red flags for the Chargers that I think they're going to have to actually uh, address with their whole team to make everybody comfortable with the way this is happening. Yeah. And again, I really feel bad for Terat, and, and this could you know, end his opportunity to show everybody at the next step that he can still be a starter.
1: Really quick update Uh, on, we talked uh, to Mike Golick Sr. yesterday about COVID testing postponing the uh, Notre Dame game because of positives. Well, now we're finding out that Houston has yet another postponed game, their their game with North Texas off due to coronavirus. Uh, This is, I believe, the fourth season opener they have attempted to have and been unable to play. Uh, Fitz, just real quick, I I mean, I don't know how you're going to piece together whatever the remnants of a season are for so many of these different teams.
2: And I think it's important because the SEC gets underway this weekend and I know later in the week we'll talk a lot of college football, but this is something that every fan base needs to look at because just because games are are scheduled to be played doesn't mean this is going so well so far for college football.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN radio and on the ESPN app.